Corinthians chapter 6. This is Apostle Paul's most personal letter to a church, expressing his heart and passion. False teachers had entered the church in Corinth, undermining Paul's message of Jesus Christ. The gospel was being diluted by Jewish teachers who were trying to put Christians back under the law of Moses. They also questioned Paul's kingdom calling and responsibility as an apostle of Jesus Christ. So Paul offers a defense of his life and ministry in the first five chapters, answering them successfully. He talks about triumph in Christ. How many knows that we've got to triumph in Christ? He talks about the ministry of the new covenant and being sustained by faith. Then in his final statement in chapter 5, he deals with, with the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, Paul was saying that each one reconciled by Christ should be involved in reconciling the rest of the world to Christ. So Paul said, Paul said, God saved you to spend you. If he saved you and you're not doing nothing with the salvation he gave you, that's a problem. That's a problem. Jesus Christ was passionate about this. He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to everyone. Everyone should be a soul winner and disciple maker. It's our responsibility and purpose on this earth to bring the gospel or the good news to everyone we can. I don't care how gifted you are, how talented you are, how charismatic your personality is. None of that matters. You may say, I'm not qualified. You don't have to be qualified to be a soul winner. You don't have to be charismatic or gifted or talented. You just got to be available and be who you are to share the gospel of Christ. So Paul says, we got to share the good news. But not all those in the church were doing that. And that's why in the first two verses in the sixth chapter, Paul carries on the instruction from chapter 5 concerning our calling and task as ambassadors we're an ambassador we speak for Jesus Christ on this earth but we got to speak faithfully so watch this 2 Corinthians 6 1 through 2 working together with him then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain don't receive the grace of God in vain don't ever take it for granted can I tell you what the grace of God is not it is not a treadmill that we're supposed to run on and never go anywhere. You've got to move in the grace of God. It should take you deeper with God. Those who turn back from Christ show that their initial apparent reception of God's grace was not real but in vain, negating the cross in their life. Verse 2, for he says, in a favorable, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Paul declares that the time of salvation has already arrived in Christ and that God is ready to pour out His Spirit on every individual on this earth. Hear me today, the river. It's time to bring heaven to earth. We're running out of time. And getting closer to the end, it's time for that outpouring that was prophesied in this word to happen right now in our midst. Does anybody believe it? I'm talking about an outpouring that's never been experienced before. So let me preach to you on this topic. Now until the end. Now until the end. God, I need you today. God, you've given me this word. It's in my spirit, God. I know you've called me to deliver this word to these great people, to awaken us, God. 
to get our attention, to let us know that you want to do something marvelous in our midst. I pray over every individual, God, help me to deliver your word with unction, with love, God, and with power. I ask it to be done in the name that's above every other name. Somebody shout in Jesus' name. Now, if you love him, give him a loud ovation and shout of praise. Hey, we love you, Lord. 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 You may be seated. One can say that 312 Azusa Street, Los Angeles, California, was God's earthly address from April 1906 until November 1909. Heaven invaded earth so much that the Azusa Street Revival was the only religious event ranked in the top 100 events in the 20th century by U.S. Today editors, along with the printing of the Gutenberg Bible and the First Crusade. In addition, Azusa was only one of the three top 100 events of the last millennium ranked by Time Life editors. Robin Johnson, a biographer of Howard Goss, said this, the Azusa Street mission became the cradle of Pentecostalism. The events that transpired over the next three years transformed the apostolic faith movement into a worldwide phenomenon that changed the face of Christianity. It was sparked, generated, and facilitated by a man by the name of William J. Seymour, the son of former slaves from Louisiana. Oh, you heard what I just said? Louisiana, who was blind in his left eye after having smallpox. Let me just stop and say this. It does not take a church boasting a thousand members to have revival. It does not take a church with a bank account with six figures to have revival. It does not take a church with an elaborate campus or, or well -manicured lawn, a, a well-manicured lawn to have revival. It does not take a church with eloquent preaching, well-orchestrated music, and talented singing to have revival. All of this is great, but are not the common denominator for revival. God said, I sought for a man to stand in the gap before me for the land. It takes one individual who is available and passionate through prayer and desires for God to show up to have revival. One individual that says, I want to have revival. I want there to be an outpouring of God's presence. I'm passionate about it. One individual. It only takes a tiny spark to ignite a fire. and only takes one individual filled with the Spirit of God to ignite others into becoming followers of Christ. Just give me one person that's radical enough to believe today. And you'll be the person that will turn your community upside down. That will bring revival to your family. Bring revival to your job and your school. Just one person that is radical about Jesus Christ. And just believes that Jesus wants to do something special right now in our midst. William Seymour was that individual. Finally, someone started seeking out what was in the book. Religious ideology and customs wouldn't work any longer. They wanted what Jesus had promised to pour out and did pour out in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit. Please understand me this morning. The real Pentecostal movement did not begin in the 20th century. It began in the first century. In the ancient city of Jerusalem where we find the original well of the Holy Spirit would flow from an upper room and it would flow into the river on a Sunday morning. Anybody, this is, this is residual. This is authentic. This isn't muddy water. This is authentic from straight from Jerusalem that flowed into this place. Now unto the end, to the ends of the earth. It's supposed to flow to the ends of the earth. John the Baptist, who had initiated a revival of spiritual fervor among the Jewish people with his fiery preaching of repentance, told the audience, he said, I'm baptizing you with water. But they've got one coming after me that is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We still need to have fire in the church. There needs to be some excitement at the river on a Sunday morning about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and the power of God. It's Holy Spirit and fire. And in John chapter 14, the small band of disciples who followed Jesus heard him say toward the end of his ministry that it was expedient for him to leave. But when he did, he would not leave them alone, 
he would send the Holy Spirit who would come in a way that would guarantee the continuing presence of Jesus in the world that we live in even today. After the resurrection, Jesus gathered his disciples together and he gave them his final instructions. He did not give them a plan to build the church, nor did he offer them advice about how to win the world. He simply told them, you go to Jerusalem and you wait for that power that I'm getting ready to put on your life. And then when you get the power of the Holy Spirit, you understand how to build the church and how to bring the gospel to the world. He said, wait for an outpouring. And then it happened in Acts 2. The day of Pentecost had arrived and it was fully come and the Holy Spirit swept through an upper room as a rushing mighty wind and it filled the house where they were sitting. Tongues of fire were begin to dance above each of them and they spoke in tongues as the Spirit of God gave the others. It's in the Bible. Nobody made that up. It's not a denominal thing. It's a biblical concept. They prayed in an upper room and the Holy Spirit descended upon them. The church Christ showed up to build was born that day. And these 120 believers who had run away during the crucifixion and denied being a follower of Christ would suddenly stand up and boldly proclaim this gospel. Simon Peter was a perfect example. As the crowd gathered to see what was going on, it was Simon Peter, the temperamental follower of Christ. The one who said, I don't know him. That, uh, who, Christ, who are you talking about? You know I'm talking about the one who turned his back on Christ. But now he's filled with the Spirit. And all of a sudden, there's a boldness that comes over Simon Peter. And he steps up and he begins to preach to those that have gathered around from the outside. And listen to what he says, Acts 2 and 17. And in the last days, it shall be. God declares that I will pour out uh, my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Hear me today. What happened in Acts 2 wasn't the ending. It was only the beginning of what God wanted to do from the upper room all the way till he gets ready to come back for his church. Now we have a promise that there'll be an outpouring from now until the end. We also witnessed the gospel message. Acts 2.38, Peter replied to them when they said, what do we need to do? He replied, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The center of the book of Acts is the gospel and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And they went forth and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. There needs to be signs operating in the church. However, as the church turned the corner into the second century, there appears to be a suspension of the spirit's dynamic because the order of man replaced the order of the spirit. And the result was a break in the flow of heaven's power flowing into the church. People no longer allowed the spirit of God to move. They shut it off. Most like you turn a water faucet off. They went and just turned it off and said, we don't want that. We want logic above faith. The ending of the gifts and the miraculous was not the result of the stopping of a dispensational time clock, but the product of having lost touch with the dimension of another realm. The realm where God lives. The realm of the spirit. The realm of faith. Then the arrival of Constantine in the 3rd century brought the succeeding secularization of the church. The breach was completed. The church was set adrift in an ocean of legalism, formalism, and traditionalism. But finally, someone showed up with the courage to open this book and say, I'm tired of what everybody else is telling me. What is in the Bible? Because if they experience it in the Bible, I want to experience it in my life. And I've got the courage to say today, I want to know what's in the book. If God wants me to have it, I want to have it. Listen, I'm not about all, all, this, all this denominal, argumentative, Stuff that goes on in our world. Well, I'm Baptist, I'm Presbyterian, I'm Catholic, I'm Pentecostal. I'm not into all that. I want to know if it's in the book and it's for me, I want it. That's, that's what I want. Take everything out of the equation. If it's in the book, I want it. I want it. I want If he wanted me empowered, I want to be empowered. If he wants me to be a tongue talker, I want to be a tongue talker. I want it. If it's in the book, I want it. I've spent my life. Listen, you, what you don't know about me? And I've got to hurry because I've got a lot to say. And I'm not going to leave this pulpit until I say it all. And I'm not going to apologize for that. 
Well, y'all don't know about me. I married a Pentecostal. My Lord. And she did. She, had, she helped change my life. I love that woman. But she could tell you right now. Thank you. Thank you. But she could tell you right now that there, there came a point in my life where I said I don't need your religion and I don't need your dad's religion I don't need your mom's religion I want to know what does the book say and if the book says it I want it you get I bought the truth and I'm not going to sell it you can't get it from it it's not for sale for any I bought the truth I don't care I don't care I don't care well preacher that's not a good that's not good terminology I don't care I bought it I bought into it I've seen it I'm not letting it go I'm not letting it go. I'm not letting it go. I'm not letting it go. Listen, my mom and dad, they told me they was great people. They said, baby, you go to church wherever you want to go to church. They told me that. But something got a hold of my heart. And I began to open this book. And I said, I don't want to know it because everybody else is telling me. Because Pentecost people got a lot of wrong in their life too. Every religion that is man-made, has failures and flaws. But when you get to the pure religion, can you love the widow? Can you love the fatherless? Can you believe the death, burial, resurrection? That's what I want to know. It's in the book. Go read how they were baptized in the book of Acts. Go read it. Go read Ephesians 4 and 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. It's in the book. Baptism, it's in the book. It's in the book. Why are you saying this? Because deception is running rampant right now. Oh, everything's okay. Live how you want to live. Do what feels good. It's all right. It's not all right. Listen, this Bible is not a democracy. I don't get to make the rules. I don't get to do it my way. There's a king. And if the king said it, where, where the word of a king is, there's power. If the king said it, then that's what I got to do. I'm obligated by that in the kingdom of God. One man, Charles Parham, said, you know what? If it's in the book, I want it. That's not why it hurt. <laughs> My boy, just, he looked like he just rolled off the set of tombstone. Where's Doc at? Oh, there he is. There's Doc Holliday. Can't make this stuff up. I'm telling you, I can't make this stuff up. I tell everybody everywhere I go, we got a Doc Holiday in our church. There ain't no way. I'm telling you. Brother Gubb looked like this for a little while. <laughs> Had it curled up. Came in with a toothpick in his mouth one day and a piece of straw. Y'all keep on. I ain't going to get done with this message. Charles Parham. He said, you know what? I've had enough. I want to know if the Holy Spirit was for them, is it for us? He led a Bible college in Topeka, Kansas. And there his students had determined the baptism of the Holy Spirit was evidenced by speaking in other tongues. And in a prayer meeting in early 1901, the students received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the apostolic faith message was received and spread in, the general, in that general area. Can I tell you, the Bible says, if you'll seek it, if you'll seek after him, you'll find everything that he has for you in your life. Don't stop. Don't let anybody else tell you to stop. You keep opening the book. You keep going after what God has for you. Started receiving the Holy Spirit. And through some contacts in the Houston area, Parham sought to establish a work along the Texas Gulf Coast. There he met William Seymour. Seymour listened and learned about the Holy Spirit from Charles Parham, who preached in a suburb of Houston called Pasadena in Texas. Now watch this. Seymour sat outside the sanctuary and listened to Parham teach through a crack in the door. You know why? He couldn't go in. And sit with the congregation because of his color and the Jim Crow laws. But you know what Seymour said? He didn't get mad. He sat outside and he listened. And he said, you know what? I want the same Holy Spirit they got. It's for the black. It's for the white. It's for, the, it's for everybody. I want it. I want it. I want it. I want it. 
He wants to know more. And watch this. Put my picture of William Seymour back up there. In a short time, Parham would be sending people like John G. Lake and F.F. F. Bosworth to Azusa Street to come under Seymour's anointing before they went into the mission field. This is, what, this is what Parham said. Before you go overseas as missionaries, go to Azusa Street. Make sure you become friends with Seymour. Make sure you hang around him. Parham instructed, get all of his anointing that you can get on your life. I love the Lord. Think about it. The black man who had to sit outside Parham's doors became the man whom everyone sought just to come in contact with because they said, he's got the spirit. I want the same spirit he's got. And the world, watch this, the world came to Azusa Street. It was the first fully integrated church in America. And Seymour almost became fanatical about it. When he would come down from his apartment above the church, if 20 or more of the same color were sitting together, he had split them up. He wouldn't tolerate it. He said, we are to be one in the Lord. And historian Frank Bartleman said this, the color line was broken at Azusa Street by the blood. And in 2022, we need the color line to be broken by the blood. There's no place for racism and bigotry and hatred in the church. There's no place for it. There's no place for it. There's no place for it. It's got to go. If we're going to have heaven on earth, it's got to go. There's no place for it. Watch this. If we want heaven on earth, we need the imagery of heaven on earth. You know what the imagery of heaven is? Revelation 7 and 9. A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, worshiping and praising and magnifying and glorifying God. We need to be united by the blood of the Lamb. Working hand in hand to pull out as many people from the traps of the enemy as we can. Every soul matters. Nobody left behind from now until the end. Now until the end. Now until the end. I'm reaching. I'm reaching. I don't care. I don't care about their ethnicity. I don't care about it. I'm reaching for them. Every soul matters. In the parable in Luke 10, a priest and a Levite had run into an unplanned ministry opportunity. When they found a man who had been beaten, robbed, and left for dead. Yet they ignored him. And they walked on the other side of the road as far away from him as they could get. But then a Samaritan came along. The Jews' hatred of the Samaritans had historical roots. When Assyria conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, many Israelites were exi exiled from the land. But some were left behind. Then the Assyrians brought many captives from other lands to Israel. And as a result, many Jews intermarried with the Assyrians. And the Samaritans of Jesus' day were descendants of those intermarriages. And the animosity between Jew and Samaritan was strong. Nevertheless, when Jesus gives the parable in Luke 10, he doesn't give praise to the Levite or the priest. He gives praise to this Samaritan man who saw this man on side of the road beaten and robbed and bruised. And the Samaritan man, those that others looked down on, showed up and began to bandage up his wounds. Picked him up and took him to a place to where he could receive care. Jesus chose to use a despised and rejected person to make his point. Proving that broken people need someone to show them compassion and give them life. You know what we got to stop saying? We got to stop telling everybody, look, I'm praying for you and I love you. I need some action behind that prayer and that love. Right now in our world, they don't need to just hear I'm praying for you. They need to hear, how can I help you? I want to put some action with my prayer. How can I lift you up? How can I bandage your wounds? What can I do to help? Now until the end, the church should be a place where wounded people can come and receive love and life. We've got to love everybody, everybody, even the sinner. Because we all sinners saved by grace. Listen, if you don't love sinners, you can't love yourself. Got to love sinners. Now, we despise sin. That's biblical. And I got to get into that, too, a little bit. I, I, got, I got a whole lot, a whole lot to cover. But I've got to hit on that. We despise sin. We love everyone, but we despise sin. Because sin is sin. 
And we've got to address it biblically, especially in 2022. And, when, and you can hear me, and you can hear me clearly. We will not give in to this cancel culture that cancels anyone who doesn't kneel at the altar of prevailing political passions. Lizzie Troughton, a legal advocate in London who specializes in protecting family life and religious freedom, said this. We're not just facing a free speech crisis. We're canceling Christians. And she ended her article with these words, Christianity has had too long of a positive influence in our land for us to let it be unlawfully canceled by people who take offense or simply dislike it. We've got to stand right now for what's biblical. As a matter of fact, we're called to stand and come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And if the word offends you, I'm sorry. You'll just have to be offended. I'll share it with love, but the word is the word. I can't change it. You can't change it. Nobody can change it. Offense and counsel culture are a sign of the end time. Matthew 24, 10 through 12. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. 2022 right now. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness. The love of most will grow cold. Hear me today. Everybody in this building has a mistake. Everyone in this building has done something in the past that you would like to forget. All of us have made choices we regret and decisions we would correct or redo if we had the chance. But in a world fueled by cancel culture, those mistakes are not allowed to remain in the past. People intentionally dig through the histories and biographies and social media posts of others just to bring more hate into our world. But as the church, we can't do that. We're called to forgive we're called to forgive, and we're called to love. We can't become a part of cancel culture. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. Brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Do you remember Narcissus from Greek mythology? According to the legend, Narcissus was a hunter who was extremely handsome. Women constantly fell in love with him, but he rejected their advances and disdained all who tried to approach him. He couldn't find anyone to fall in love with. But one day, Narcissus came to a clear pool in the middle of the woods. He saw his reflection and immediately fell in love with his own face. However, when he realized what was going on, that he hadn't encountered another person but only himself, he took his own life in a burst of despair. And that's the origin of our modern word, narcissism, the excessive love of self. And according to Paul, the days before tribulation will be perilous because people will love only themselves. These people will love to talk about themselves. They'll write down their own press reports and pad their own resumes. And when you finally meet, meet them, you're going to be like, who are they? I don't even recognize that person. They're proud and haughty people, which means they're disdainful toward others. Looking down on others comes as naturally to them. And they expend a lot of energy seeking to reduce everyone around them. They are intent on pushing others aside so they can stand taller. Robert Ringer was an early apostle of this aggressive form of narcissism. Decades ago, he published a book called Winning Through Intimidation. And he encouraged people to view themselves as wolves or foxes, seizing what they wanted and dominating those around them. And here we are in 2022, and perhaps nothing represents modern narcissism better than social media, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. It's given people the wrong platforms. 
It's allowing people to constantly crow about their own successes while simultaneously slashing away at the achievements of others, often through anonymous comments and online bullying. Social media is a stronghold for selfish people. And unfortunately, selfish people rarely keep their opinions to themselves. But the Bible says that Jesus told us, love me first. Love others second, and then you can love yourself third. If you in the kingdom of God and you love yourself above Jesus and others, narcissism. <laughs> Listen, if you show up here and you can't hug on anybody or shake their hand and tell somebody else you love them, but you go sit down waiting on somebody to come shake your hand. It's got to go. It's got to be him first, God. It's got to be others second, and I am a third. Third, I'm third, I'm third. Watch this. Jesus said, I showed up that they might have life and have it more abundantly. He said, I didn't show up that I might have life and have it more abundantly. I was doing pretty good. And all of a sudden, here I am, robed in flesh. Living amongst these people. He said, I've showed up because I have the same concept. It's about you. It's about others that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And it bears noticing that Jesus spent a lot of time with people in his day that would have been canceled in this culture. Remember the woman at the well? She was considered a second-class citizen in the ancient world. Even her own people shunned her which is why she came alone to draw water from the community well during the heat of the day. Yet Jesus approached her. He spoke kindly to her. He even offered her the water of life, saying, if you drink this water from this well, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink this everlasting water that I showed up to bring you, you will never thirst again. Jesus healed lepers who were untouchable according to the law. He welcomed sinners who were despised. He blessed children that others tried to push away. He expressed compassion for a woman taken in adultery. And he accepted the worship of a woman criticized for pouring perfume on his feet. He touched the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. He caused demons. He cast out demons from the violent. And during his final hours, he, he comforted a criminal nailed to a cross beside him after his resurrection he reassured a doubting disciple and reestablishing reestablishing the one who denied him jesus had no place in his heart for the cancel culture but he was a wonderful demonstration of the love of god and the church has to be a resemblance of that same love we can't lose our heart for people i've got bandages here today i'm looking for somebody to help and to lift up and to tell them you can make it now until the end now until the end you know what I'm doing I'm carrying bandages everywhere I go because it's about others humility will lead to demonstration just an earthen vessel that this treasure has been placed into in this book I'm reading the true stories of the miracles of Azusa Street and beyond it says that Seymour would pray with a box over his head then he would take the box off when directed by God, get up and do what God told him to do. And this apparent act of humility led to mighty power. When he removed the box, they said that he would walk to people in the house that were in wheelchairs, that was brought from hospitals on cots. It says that William Seymour would walk to where they at and say, get up out the wheelchair and be healed. Get up off the cot and be healed. And it says all of a sudden people are carrying their hospital bed out of Azusa Street because one man said it's about others. I'm humble enough to say it's about others. Eyewitnesses explained. They said it was baffling. People were just getting up, getting up out of wheelchairs and cots. Now, I know what you're thinking, preacher. Is that even biblical? Acts 5, 15 through 16. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. 
If that happened in there, if he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, why can't it happen right now in the midst of everything going on? Acts 19 and 12. The Apostle Paul said that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Seymour had the boldness to seek what was in this word. And because he sought what was in this word, the glory of God inhabited this former warehouse in Azusa Street, releasing creative miracles. They say, I'm reading a book about actual witnesses that seen this. They said this. They said, seven days a week for three and a half years, missing limbs grew out where there were no, there were none. Eyeballs filled in empty sockets. Cancerous growths fell off and lives were restored as the glory of God filled the building. I'm ready. The Bible says that there will be another outpouring just like this. I'm ready. I'm ready. Before Azusa Street, there were very few that had experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But at the beginning of the 20th century, there was very few at the beginning of the 20th century. But by the century's close, the movement claimed 600 million adherents that were baptized with the Holy Spirit because William Seymour said, if it's in the book, I want to experience what's in the book. And now we're a direct impact of what happened in Azusa Street. Now, I know what you're thinking. Preacher, why would you tell me all of that history? You didn't know I showed up to give a history lesson. Why would you share all that with me? Because there was a prophecy in 1910. Seymour stands up on the stage. He takes the box off his head and he starts prophesying. He said in about 100 years from now, there's going to be another revival just like Azusa Street. Only this time it would not be in one place. It's going to be all over the world. And there would be a return of the Shekinah glory and the miracles. And this revival would not be with just one person or just uh, pastors. It would be with everybody in the body. This time, the revival will not end until the Lord returns. When it starts, it's not going to stop. It's going to continue uh, until the Lord returns. This time, today is the day of salvation. Watch this. And on the opposite coast of New York City, according to Charles Parham's granddaughter, Parham stood up one day and declared the same prophecy using almost the exact words. This happened within a couple of days of Seymour's prophecy. They both pronounced that this modern-day outpouring would surpass Acts 2, Topeka, Azusa Street. And I feel like the Holy Spirit is quickening me. He said, it's time. It's time. Preacher, how is it going to happen? Here's how it's going to happen. This outpouring is not held in a secret vault in heaven. Assessed by the right code. Instead, this outpouring is before us, around us, and in us. Azusa Street wasn't planned. It was prayed down. Revelations 5 and 8 speaks of this. And they held gold bowls filled with incense. Talking about these angelic beings. Which are the prayers of God's people. How many knows that rain doesn't fall? Rain never falls. It keeps collecting and getting so heavy that a gravity eventually pulls it down. The power of God works in the same way. If we keep praying and we keep believing, those bowls of prayer are going to begin to tip. And there's going to be an outpouring like this. Don't you stop. One more prayer. It may be the tipping point. One more prayer may... One more prayer may turn it around. Don't you stop. It's building. It's building. It's building. It's building. Let me finish. I usually would stop right here, but I've got to give you what God has told me to give you. Now until the end, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to believe. And I'm hoping that one of those bowls just tips over and tick fall. And that people start coming into this building. I hope they sign themselves out of North Oaks Hospital. They walk into this building and they leave completely healed. Those that are addicted are going to walk in. They're going to believe. They're going to leave completely set free. I'm telling you. It's time. It's time for another awakening. Because we are getting close to the Lord coming back. 
Now, I know what you're thinking, preacher, don't start. You, you, you led us to here. Don't get into the end time. Listen, don't get nervous. You're nervous. I feel it. You're like, man, here goes end time. I'm not an end time guru. I'll be fooling with all that all the time, but it's in my spirit right now. But you shouldn't be nervous. You should be excited. Have you read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 a long time? Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not perceive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with the Lord. That's called the rapture. Somebody needs to preach again on the rapture. This mortal body won't keep me here. I'm going to be raptured. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more sickness. No more death. Watch what he goes on to say. Verse 18, watch what he goes on to say. Therefore, don't bring each other down with these words. Encourage one another with these words. We're going to be getting up, getting up, getting up out of here one day. Come back, Lord. Come back, Lord. Come back, Lord. Romans 8 and 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Now, I'm pre-tribulation. You can be post. You can be mid. You can be whatever trib you want to be. We're not going to debate it. We're not going to argue. It's not a heaven and hell issue. I believe. I believe what I see in the Bible. Before it gets too bad, he's going to take his church out of here. He told Lot, get out of Sodom and Gomorrah before I destroy it. Noah, get in the boat. I'm going to be like Superman. I'm getting on up out of here before it gets too bad. You can be whatever trip you want to be. Listen, if you want to be in the middle of the tribulation, he's still going to come get you. You want to be after the tribulation, he's coming to get you. But I'm, I'm going to be pre-trib. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'm going to try to avoid it all. <laughs> Preacher, you trying to take a shortcut? 110%. I got to go. I got to go. They're going to be chopping hands off. Oh, I got to go. <laughs> be walking to this pulpit. Praise the Lord. Okay, I got to go. But watch this. We don't know. He said, no man knows the day or the hour which I come back. But during the last week of his life, the Lord Jesus left the temple in Jerusalem. He went with his disciples. He hiked down the Kidron Valley and climbed to the top of the Mount of Olives, the city of Jerusalem spread out before them, shimmering in the setting sun. That's when the disciples asked Jesus about the last day, prompting our Lord's most comprehensive teaching on the events related to the end of the, the world and his glorious return. We call this the Olivet Discourse. And this is what it says, Matthew 24, 4 through 7. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you not be troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end... Not yet. For nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. We are witnessing prophecy unfold right in front of us today. We've had pestilence, COVID-19, that has also posed a threat to our freedom and way of life. It's a pestilence. It's a real sickness. It's, it's, people that say it's not real, they don't know. It's real. A lot of people have lost their lives. But now people are taking COVID-19 and they're trying to erode free speech. And they're trying to, to take away free exercise of religion to the looming threat of one world government that allows for no opposition. Our freedom and perhaps our very lives depend on right now. 
Second thing is there is economic chaos right now. The third, th the third thing is the bad is getting worse. Godlessness is overtaking every institution, every platform, every square inch of our culture. Decency is crumbling like wooden planks infested by termites. And then you've got earthquakes. When you get home, go look up how many earthquakes has there already been in 2022. It's going to blow your mind. It was so many, I didn't even want to put a number on it. There's a lot. But the fifth thing is now we have nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Jeremiah David said this, while the word Russia does not exist in the Bible, the reference to Rosh in Ezekiel 38 and 2 is a shortened version of the word Russia. This can be determined linguistically and geographically, Jeremiah explained. The Bible describes Rosh as being as far to the north of Israel which was the reference point for Ezekiel's original audience. And the north is also linked to the final battle of Gog and Magog, which according to the Bible would be a massive military attack against Israel. In both Ezekiel and the book of Daniel, the end times aggressor is described as coming from the north, king of the north. Gog is the prince of Rosh. Some scholars believe that Gog is a title rather than a personal name. Jeremiah wrote this. Gog is from the land of Magog. Magog was also the name of one of Noah's grandsons. And many scholars believe his descendants settled around the Black and Caspian Seas on Russia's southern border. The Norse invasion of Israel is not going to happen anytime soon, so don't get nervous. But let me show you something that's going on right now with Ukraine that you may not know. A Jewish-Ukrainian family had four brothers. Did you hear what I said? A Jewish Ukrainian family had four brothers. Three were murdered by the Nazis. Only one survived. His grandson was President Zelensky of Ukraine. If you haven't opened your eyes yet to we are getting closer, closer, and closer to the end. If you haven't opened your eyes and realized that in the natural world, waves rise in advance of storms. It's the same in the spiritual realm. In America's history, just prior to major wars, God has moved. In the 1730s, in the decades following, the Great Awakening took place. Soon thereafter, the Revolutionary War came. In the early to mid-1800s, the Second Great Awakening took place. Soon thereafter, the Civil War came. Four days after Azusa Street started, at approximately... 5, 12 a.m. local time on April 18, 1906, an earthquake foreshock rudely awakened San Francisco Bay Area residents, and it was followed by a massive earthquake about 20 to 25 seconds later. With its epicenter near San Francisco, violent shock waves punctuated the strong shaking, which lasted some 45 to 60 seconds. The earthquake was felt from southern Oregon south of Los Angeles and inland as far as 70 kilometers into central Nevada. It was the most destructive earthquake in North American history. A devastating fire fed by ruptured gas lines completed with the earthquake later estimated as 8.3 on the Richter scale failed to destroy in its 90 deadly seconds. Some 700 people lay dead among the decimated 514 city blocks. And on top of that, the naval race between Germany and Great Britain began in 1906. And some believe that it created huge friction between both nations. And it is, the, it is one of the causes of World War I. Because anytime there's a great upheaval, we read that God has another wave of revival. And I've come to tell somebody today, do not let your heart fail from fear. You've got to pick up your faith. You've got to lift your eyes to the hills. Don't look at all the doom and the gloom. Lift up your eyes and say, I'm ready for the next wave of revival. I'm, I'm ready, God. Anything that you have, I'm not going to apologize for us having anointed singing. I'm not going to apologize for us having lingering altar calls. I'm not going to apologize for us having anointed preaching. We've got to have much of the Spirit of God. There's a wave. There's a wave. There's a wave musicians you can come I will not listen I'm a trumpet not a flute I'm supposed to wake people up not lead them to destruction I'm not I'm not I'm supposed to I'm supposed to give people hope 
I'm supposed to tell them there's another wave and the enemy wants us so nervous about the end time that we miss the wave of revival. We've got to open our eyes and say we're going to pray. We're going to believe. We're going to operate. There's a prophecy going on right now. Behold the now. We're racing the clock. Tick, tock, tick. Racing the clock. And it's laughable to think that there's a generation spending all their time on tick tock. That's what Paul said. He told the sinners, he said, let me, let me help you be reconciled to Christ. And then he told the saints, he told the saints, he said, listen. You're going through the motions too much. You've got to care for the lost. You've got to be a soul winner. You've got to pray until those bowls begin to tip. Because Jesus said, if I'll be lifted up, we've got to preach Jesus. It was the prophet, T.W. Barnes, before he passed away. He said, it will happen again. He said, a fire will fall from heaven. Gifts will be spilled like diamonds on those who are discerning. And revival fires will once again spread around the world in anticipation of the final coming of the Lord. Harvey Shearer had a vision in the 1900s, a vision of heaven. And there he saw angels around Jesus. One of the angels hurriedly raced over to a desk where a large book rested. And the angel wrote something in the book and then picked up an armful of bundles and came down to the earth. Shearer said that he landed about a half a mile from where he was. He said when the angel hit the earth with his armful of bundles, that a great fire began to break out. And that legions of devils begin to race as far away from they can get from the, from the fire. Brother Shearer concluded that what I saw was revival sent from heaven. And in the angel's arms were gifts of the spirit that he was getting ready to bring to the earth and to drop on people. And he said when these gifts were dropped, immediately every demonic spirit of oppression and possession and control began to spread. So preacher, what do we do? tell you what we do we practice Colossians 1 and 28 we preach him until the end we preach Jesus until the end we tell people hey look time's running out but let me tell you about a savior that loves you to change your life I'm not going to focus on the bad I'm going to focus on the good let's stand We're going down to the